What makes Rose Cleaners the best in dry cleaning? They do my laundry the way I like it. The wonderful customer service. Personal quality. I have some things I like done with my clothes that I ask for, and it's always done. They do good work. I just love Rose Cleaners. Very excellent customer service, and uh, they've made me very happy since I've been here. They've got friendly employees when you walk in, and um, they haven't lost any of my clothes in 19 years. Rose Cleaners, serving San Antonio for over 20 years. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for The Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program. Weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the past week's Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. Quiz show. Thanks for joining us. Jim is out of pocket this evening for the Memorial Day weekend. So uh, he may be calling in later this evening. We'll bring him on the program, bring him up, up on the uh, Phone line and let him share with us as well. But I'm here in the studio, and we are ready to get started. Uh, we haven't heard from Jacob yet, right? John, he's not here with us yet. No. All right. Let me give you uh, get us started on our questions tonight. We're going to read. Uh, we read this past week the book of Acts, chapters 17 through 28, 
the book of Acts. We read uh, that entire, the, all of the passage, all of the readings last week came from the book of Acts, chapter 17 through 28. And uh, then we, uh, oh yeah, we finished up on Friday with one reading from the book of First Chronicles. We went back to the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, when we say, I just want to make sure you understand, and, and uh, this is something I'm kind of learning, is we, when we talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, we don't mean anything in, uh, derogatory about the Old Testament. It's not intended to be a saying, oh, well, that's old, that's no good anymore. Now this is the new one. That's, that is not the sense at all. Uh, it really just basically became, a, I think, just an easier way to refer to the two, these two, uh, parts of the Bible. And so, uh, we, uh, I want to make that clear when we talk about the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. These are simply the, the Scriptures that we have recorded before the coming of Messiah, uh, before the time of Jesus of Nazareth. And they predict, they look forward to, they anticipate the Messiah. They anticipate the carrying out of the redemptive plan of God in time and space by the Redeemer, the Savior. Uh, and then we come to the New Testament, in starting with the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. And we then record the life and ministry of Messiah and the, the infant uh, movement, the movement that was put in place by Jesus the Messiah. And it's, uh, frankly, it's all of one piece. It is a continuation. It is not a different religion. Jesus didn't come to establish a new religion. That wasn't his purpose in coming. Uh, Jesus also, by the way, we'll talk about this tonight as we discuss the, God, the book of Acts. Uh, Jesus did not come to prove he was God. That was not his intention as well, to come and prove that he was God. That what he came to live out the perfect life of a man. That was the objective. That was the goal and the role of the Messiah to live out the perfect life of a man. And so we're not talking about man becoming God. We're talking about God taking on flesh and becoming a man. Uh, that's uh, just a couple of things that clarifications that need, to me, it seems like need to be constantly made, not only for us as a, uh, Gentile believers for our understanding that our faith and everything we know about God, it comes out of the Hebrew scriptures, comes out of the, the, the true and living God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrew scriptures. The We believe in the prophets of the Old Testament. We believe in the, the, the commands of God, the laws of God, the Torah, uh, and the, the Messiah uh, of God, the, the redemptive plan of God. So revealed to us in the Hebrew scriptures in what we call the Old Testament. So it's not it's not something brand new and total departure. It's we are in fact grafted in. We are grafted into the people of God, into Israel through Jesus the Messiah. It's a it's a very important truth that we have to continually emphasize because a lot of believers, perhaps a lot of Gentile believers, sometimes we come to faith in Christ and we don't know about, we don't hear about the fact that we come that we're we are the, the Jesus and the Messiah and the people of God, the redemptive plan of God, the explosion that we see here in the book of Acts around the world that is that flows out of the, the uh, revelation that God had given him of himself all through those centuries before uh, Jehovah, before Messiah came. So anyway, we want to emphasize that, but we're going to 
talk today about the gospel, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, those last chapters, uh, 17 through 28. And then we'll, we can also ask you questions coming from the first four chapters of the book of First Chronicles. Jacob will be coming on the line with me in just a moment. Let me give you a couple of questions while we're waiting. Uh, in Psalm 78, Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8, uh, this, this psalm is dedicated to telling us how important it is to pass the knowledge of God to a certain group of people. We are told to pass the knowledge of God to what group? To what special group of people? In Psalm chapter 78. And if you want to look particularly at verse 4, you'll find uh, the answer we're looking for. In Psalm 78, verse 4, we are told to pass the knowledge of God to a certain group of people. What group of people is it we are told uh, to be mindful of there? And let's go to the book of Proverbs. And um, this is interesting. It's rather basic, but it may surprise you, the answer. Uh, what can God's people do that is said in uh, Proverbs 15, verse 8? There is something that we as God's people can do, and it is said to be a delight to the Lord. Interesting, isn't, isn't it, that you and I can do something that would bring great joy, that would bless God, that would, that would delight the Lord? What is it that is spoken of there in Proverbs chapter 15? Look especially at verse 8. What is it that we can do that is said to delight the Lord? One more question from the Proverbs. This comes from chapter 16, Proverbs chapter 16. It is said to be a crown of glory gained by living a godly life. It is said to be a crown of glory quote, unquote, gained by living a godly life. What is it? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. So there are three questions you can begin to work on. <clears throat> if you'd like to look them up, you certainly can. That's why we give you the passage. And it's an open book quiz here. If you'd like to give us a call, the phone number is 340-340-9585. 340 and if you're dialing long distance, 877-630-5757. If you'd like to call in and answer any of those questions, we will give you a chance then to win a prize package, including a $25 gift certificate for oil change and support of your vehicle. There's dry cleaning. There's carpet and upholstery. There's a number of different gifts that we give, somewhere around $100 worth of gift certificates. And we'll be glad to send you that packet uh, just as a gift for calling in and being a part of the Bible Live Quiz Show. Now, better go and visit with Jacob quickly because he may have some questions from the book of Acts and maybe from First Chronicles as well. I don't know if he's chosen. Normally, we I let him pick out some uh, verses and some questions from those uh, books so that we can... Um, have you call in as well? Hi, Jacob. Hey, hello, Sophie. Good to hear you. You hear me okay? Kiddo. I hear you just fine. You're coming through loud and clear, and so we're going to see if we can um, keep you on the line here and through the 
program and visit with our other callers as they call in as well. So um, did you pick out some questions from Acts 17 through 28, or would you like me to get some? Well, I actually, actually uh, you know, Sophie, I am hearing nothing but feedback. I'm hearing myself. And while I enjoy that, I'm not sure it's productive for the show. <laughs> All right. Uh, I don't, gonna, I don't hear gonna, that. Let me see if I can uh, I can change the uh, buttons here and see if we can get you coming through loud and clear. Uh, maybe John can help us technically with that. Do you need me to hang up and call back? Uh, do you think he should call back, John, or should we go ahead and start working through? Now, I don't hear any feedback at all, basically. You sound loud and clear to us. Right. And I can hear every time I say a word, I hear my own word echo back to me. No, I don't think it's uh, okay. That must be just your phone. Right. Uh, you could try Why don't you do that? Call us back. Okay. What do you I'll think? Go ahead. Go ahead and pick some of your finest questions. Okie dokie. We'll turn that off. We'll let Jacob call us back and see if we can bring him up uh, in a way that doesn't make him hear himself so much, uh, although he said it didn't bother him <laughs> a whole lot to hear himself speaking. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions from the book of Acts, folks. If you'd like to um, answer these, this is a question that's, Rather basic to the book of Acts, uh, we're going to use the chapter 17 of the book of Acts when, uh, as an example. But here's the question. When, wa- when Paul went to a new city in his missionary travels, on these missionary journeys that he made, uh, when he went to a new city, where did he customarily go to preach first? Where did he usually go first? to preach the message of the gospel. So when Paul went to a new city, and it's an answer that is very uh, helpful because it explains to us in some way uh, one of the reasons that Jesus came when he came, one of the reasons that the Messiah was sent uh, in the specific time period that he was sent. Uh, And we can allude to that and learn from that. So when Paul... When Paul went to a new city, where did he customarily go to preach first? Let's go and try to pick up Jacob again and see if we can get a little better um, connection with him. Hi, Jacob. Oh, hi, Sophie. Can you hear me okay now? I hear you fine. Are you better? Yes, I am. I am better now. All right. Then that must have been just uh, the line. I don't know how this phone system works, but uh, sometimes you just evidently get a bad connection. So that, that's how it turned out. Uh, well, good. Do you have some questions? Uh, well, I do. I actually do. Uh, okay. Of course, I don't want to mention that I didn't get copies of the questions. So no, I, you wouldn't want to mention that. No. So I think if I got a couple suggestions, if I may. Of course, you being the uh, progenitor, you get okay. to decide if it's right or not. Me being the oldest is what he means, folks. That's ego. No, let's go for it. I have already asked some questions from the book of Psalms and Proverbs. And one question from the book of Acts was when Paul went to a new city uh, when he was during his missionary journeys, three or four of them, depending on how you which ones you actually call mission journeys. Uh, I call the, the, the journey to, to Rome uh, an additional mission trip because that's that's the mentality that Paul had all the time. Uh, but when Paul went to a new city, where did he customarily go first? to preach, to deliver his message. 
And we're looking at Acts chapter 17, verse 2, specifically in that, that city. But uh, you can, um, I think it is actually Thessal- Thessalonica. Uh, we're using that as an example. But when Paul went to a new city, where did he customarily go first to deliver his message? Uh, and it, it's kind of a interesting where he went, and it kind of shows in some way why it was important that Jesus came in the particular time frame, in the particular era in which he came. It's one of those chief reasons. So that's the only question I have asked from the book of Acts. Uh, Jacob, do you have another question there from the well, book of Acts? Uh, uh, how about, um, uh, starting in Acts, how about 17, oh, yeah, verse 17, 6. Chapter 17. Uh, now, I have a question that says, a, in Thessalonica, there was a believer who practiced hospitality uh, as a good, as a good, you know, solid uh, Jewish practice and, and discipline, and he allowed Paul to stay in his home. And as a result, since no good deeds ever goes unpunished, his right. his home was attacked and he was arrested. What was the name? What the question I have is: oh, What was the name of this individual in Thessalonica? Thessalonica. Now that's the question I have from uh, Acts chapter seventeen. Okay. Is, is that help? Is that the same yeah. question is you that, had? Uh, is that what verse is that in seventeen? Verses five through eight. Which that's perfect. Your... That is my question. We think great minds alike. I guess. All right. Good deal. We've got that question out there. Okay. And what about the? Seventeen twenty-six. You like that one, huh? Oh, do I like that one? Because see, that says actually it's straight out of from Deuteronomy, and it says that God set boundaries of nations, and that of course would include <coughs> Israel. All right, so that's interesting. You, you're exactly right. Acts chapter seventeen, uh, Paul uh, launches into his sermon. Uh, here, just before that, let me ask you this question, folks. When Paul got to Athens, as you remember, uh, Athens is there in Greece, and it there is a they're very religious, very philosophical people, the the Athenians, the Greeks, and he got a chance to address what is called the Council of Philosophers, the Council of Philosophers, and so to begin his message, he referred to he referred to an altar that he had seen as he was going up to uh, speak with them. Uh, I think it's on Mars Hill, it was called. He passed an altar that was dedicated to a certain God, and he begins his sermon, he begins his message, talking about that altar to to what God? What what God was this altar dedicated to? That's my question. Paul used that altar as an illustration to get his sermon started, to what God was that altar dedicated as Paul made his way up to Mars Hill to speak with the Council of Philosophers? So what was the, what was the God that was um, referred to at this particular altar that he mentions? And that's chapter 17, verse 23. Now, when we get to verse 26 in that message, how do we make that into a question, Jacob? Um, did uh, how about a yes or no? Did okay. God actually prescribe boundaries of nations? Oh, that's okay. 
That's very, 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 very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. I'm reading the verse right now in my Bible. And, um, I, I thought maybe you hung up on me. I didn't know. No, no, I was reading and think, wow, that is good. Um, <clears throat> okay. Okay. Did that's, God, that's one way to put that question. Did God, did, and this is a, does this, this comes even down to the times in which we live, right? Yes, sir. I thought you might like that. Okay. Uh, did God decide, who decides or did God decide the boundaries of the nations? When one nation would rise, when another nation would fall and determine the boundaries of the country, like Mexico and Spain and Japan and China and Russia, Mongolia. Uh, <laughs> it's the yes or no question, I, I guess it, people could guess easily the answer, but uh, it appears right there in Acts chapter 17. Uh, who determines uh, the boundaries of the nations? Who determines the rise and fall of the nations and the empires? We can we can discuss that. I know that Jacob's got something on his mind there. Uh, oh, Soapy, go we, on with you. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that you've got something in mind to talk about there, and I'm looking forward to hearing about it. Let me give you one more question from the book of Acts. And then we'll get a question from the book of First Chronicles. Um, there are a number of questions this week from the book of Acts that are who am I questions. Uh, and those are a little bit difficult sometimes for you unless you go to your Bible, if you can go to your Bible. Uh, sometimes we don't remember these people, but I'm going to ask this one. I think these are this is a famous Bible couple, a famous Bible couple. And maybe you'll remember their names. They lived in the city of Corinth. Uh, and Corinth, of course, was a very decadent uh, city in many ways. And they lived there and worked there. They had been driven out of Rome uh, because of their faith, their, their Jewish faith. And in Corinth, Paul lived and worked with us. Who are we? While in Corinth, Paul lived with us and he worked with us. Who are we? This is a famous Bible couple and it's found in chapter 18 of the book of Acts, verses 2 and 3. And I have some other who am I uh, questions that we'll be asking through the hour as well. And finally, let me ask you a question or two from the book of First Chronicles. If you know the answer to any of these questions and you want to call in, and answer, win prizes, and talk to us a little bit about maybe about the scriptures, you can give us a call at 340-9585, 340-9585, and uh, we'll bring you up, and you can visit with Jacob and with me here on the Bible Live Quiz Show and get a chance to answer that question, answer it quickly, correctly, and win uh, some prizes here. From the book of First Chronicles, uh, Jewish tradition is that first and second chronicles were compiled the the information was gathered and edited and compiled by whom who is considered to be the author of the uh compiler of the book of books of first and second chronicles of course uh, originally one book just a book of the chronicles is divided into two at the time of the translation from uh hebrew into uh greek uh, so let's see, we have that question. And then here's a question that everyone should know the answer to. It's one of those key dates. The Chronicles cover 
the history of the people of Israel from the time of David's reign uh, in 1010 B.C. to the time of the Babylonian exile, which began in what year? What year did the exile of the people of Israel to Babylon begin? It's the same year of the destruction of the temple that we read about in, uh, well, actually, a, a couple of the books we read the story of the fall of Jerusalem, if I remember correctly. What year did the uh, Jerusalem fall, the temple was destroyed, and the people, the exile of the people uh, is dated from that year? Now, some people uh, were taken before this, but this is the date when we talk about the general uh, exile of the people of Israel to Babylon. Uh, usually, the historically, the date, the 70-year period is counted from this particular date. And there's a reason for that, um, having to do with, with the temple as well. So there you go. You've got two questions from the Psalms and the Proverbs, or three questions. You've got four questions from the book of Acts, and you have two questions from the book of First Chronicles. If you'd like to call in and give us uh, an answer, win prizes, and just... Talk about the scriptures with us till this uh, Memorial Day weekend. Then you, our lines are open, 340-9585. So we're waiting on someone to call in and, and visit with us, Jacob. We might yep. as well go ahead and talk about your uh, question there about the people of Israel, the uh, nations of the world. Paul is preaching, and he said... That all of the nations of the world that God establishes them, and He decides their boundaries. That to me is a fascinating thought. Well, actually, so be it. It actually comes from Deuteronomy. It actually says this in Deuteronomy. Well, it is a fascinating idea and thought, and I know that you can you can elaborate a little bit on it because we think people take their country by force. Uh, it's the immigration of the peoples of the world. The movements of the people of the world is. It's a matter of economy. It's a matter of uh, people groups, movements, and wars and battles. But we're told in Scripture that it is God himself who establishes those boundaries. We'll come back and talk about it here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. I hope you'll join us. Give us a call, 340-9585. Don't go away. Dr. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to drshelton.com or call 590-7878. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to thelaptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist. 
Well, Elizabeth and I went to Express Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to work and we had got our oil done before, it could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. I didn't expect to receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning process? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. Hi, this is Baron Wiley, and March 16th, 2000, was one of the greatest days of my life. That was one of ten days when I went to the Holy Land. One of ten days where I walked where my Savior walked, where I boarded a boat and floated through the Sea of Galilee, stood on the Mount of Olives where Jesus prayed, walked through the Kidron Valley like Jesus did when he went up to Jerusalem. I touched the Western Wall and looked up to the sky and prayed where millions have been praying to God 24-7 for over 2,000 years. I stood where King David stood, where he overlooked the old city. And on that spot, on March 16, 2000, I proposed to my future wife, Shan, the most life-changing, unforgettable week of my life. My dear friend, join Alistair Begg, KSLR listeners like yourself and other believers the week of October 24, 2015, and experience Israel with Genesis Tours. Travel with comfort and ease. Stay in four- and five-star hotels, and it's so true you will never read the Bible the same way again. Experience Israel this fall. All the details at kslr.com. back <laughs> just a little momentary panic there for a moment we're trying to make sure jacob stays on the line with us and we can bring him up into our discussions if you'd like to call and be, answer any of the questions we have out on the airwaves the phone number is 340-9585 uh, jacob we were talking about that passage where paul says that it is god who actively uh, rules in the affairs of men and nations, to take a quote from Benjamin Franklin back in the founding of our nation. And uh, it says here, Paul clearly states that it is God himself who overlooks uh, human beings and our migrations. He established the movements of human beings. Um, he says, um, let me see, let me find that particular passage. He gives him, he himself gives life and breath to everything. He satisfies every need. Uh, from one man, he says, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. In other words, what Paul, I guess, is talking about here is uh, establishing this 
idea of the sovereignty, the active involvement of God in his creation. It, God is sovereign in carrying out. Uh, he has a plan for humanity. And he's not just put us here and, and, and uh, what they call the absentee landlord idea. He put things to going, put things to happening. And God went on vacation to to Tahiti or Honolulu or wherever God goes on vacation and just kind of left the left left the human beings here just left the balls rattling around on the table let happen what happened but no that's not the idea god created the human race with a purpose with an intent and he is carrying is constantly carrying out that plan and with for that with that purpose he establishes the boundaries of different people groups and as people migrate and move around on planet earth it is god who guides that process now that's a it's almost a difficult concept to uh, understand or comprehend, Jacob, because it's so vast. Uh, but what can you tell us about that process and at least the traditional Jewish understanding of that? Let me I pull your microphone up. That'd help you if you could speak on the air, right? Uh-huh. Can you hear me okay? I hear you fine. Okay, great. Hey, listen, uh, I think this, before we go, it actually ties in, but I think this is very, very important. And, of course... What I think is important is the only thing that matters, right? <laughs> of course. Uh, at any rate, uh, all joking aside, you know what today is, right? Oh, I actually do. I, I actually know, do. I, I know you do. Hang on. I'm trying to think about this. Let me think. This I, is I think so I'm, important to Christians. Uh, it and is. it's also so important to Jews. This is the, may I? Is this not, this is not Pentecost. Yes, sir, it is. It is. Okay, this is actually the Pentecost uh, itself, the 50 days from Passover. Well, yes, sir. Actually, to tell you the truth, this is the biblical. Now, I know people celebrate at different times. They choose to do it, and that's okay. I'm not criticizing. But, uh, of course, the Jews do things differently. Whatever day it occurs on is the day they're going to hold it, you know. This is is seven weeks, 49 plus one. So this is Pentecost Sunday, actually. It is. And what happened is actually the tradition among the Jews is, and I did this last night, uh, we stayed up all night and studied the Torah and the uh, Ten Commandments and the laws that came from God. So you studied all night, and in the morning, uh, this morning, you listened to the Ten Commandments read, because in the book of Exodus, you'll have actually, this is the biblical day, of what you would call in English Pentecost, Pentecost meaning 50 days. In Hebrew, it's Shavuot, which means seven weeks and then one day. And, and of course, it's the, the giving of the law, but also uh, well, that's right. the giving, then, uh, the time when the Spirit of God was dispatched uh, and the, in, the book of, in the book of Acts. Yes, uh-huh, exactly. So, and so it's an actual replication and duplication and anniversary, if you like, of actually what took place from the 11th Passover, 50 days later, they got the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. In the book of Acts and in the New Testament, uh, we know Jesus, as the story tells us, was crucified on Passover. So, 50 days later is when the Holy Spirit came down in the book of Acts. And that is the exact same dates that took place in the book of Exodus. So with, the, that's with the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, right? That's right. The okay. law was given, the Ten Commandments, Mount Sinai, was given at uh, exactly 50 days from Passover. Well, 
also in the New Testament, 50 days from Passover is what it says, Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days. Uh Uh-huh. And that's when it was given in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit was given down in the book of Acts. So you've got the exact same dates occurring in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, you wouldn't think that that was an accident. No, I don't believe it was an accident. (laughs) If it was, it was a happy one. Yeah, okay. So now that is very important. Now, if I were... Uh, you know, a, a died-in-the-world Christian, for me to know the exact biblical date when the Holy Spirit was given, it seems like it's something that ought to be very important to me. Now, for uh, the Jews, knowing when the Ten Commandments were given is very important. And like I say, the tradition is you stay up pretty much all night and study and with rabbis, etc. And then this morning, they read the Ten Commandments, and everybody goes home and goes to bed. But, <laughs> But the point is, is that you see, it always says, it actually tells you in Leviticus how to do it. You count 50 days for yourself. Now, it doesn't give a date that the Ten Commandments was given, nor does it give a date when Pentecost in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was given. It only tells you 50 days. you got to say, 50 days from what? It's 50 days from Passover. And we know when Passover is because it gives us a date. And uh, actually, in uh, uh, chapter 12 of Exodus, so we know the date. It's always on the same calendar, and we know the date, and we count 50 days. Now, the reason it doesn't give a date, as understood by the Jews, either in Exodus for the Ten Commandments or in the book of Acts for the Holy Spirit, the reason there's no date but you count 50 days is that that way you can never separate either the Ten Commandments or the Holy Spirit from Passover, you must know both. You cannot separate them. That is so important. That is so important. It really is. And I don't know if our listeners, I hope our listeners catch the reason why you must connect Passover to Pentecost. They they have to be connected. And one of the great problems we're seeing in our Christian world today is that people have lost that connection. And we reduce and limit our understanding of the redemptive plan of God. And what he is doing in our lives, we uh, we we skip a part, and and it has to do with that with Pentecost, with the reason why did the Holy Spirit, uh, why did we begin this new era of the working of the Holy Spirit, working in this unique way that He did, starting on that day of Pentecost. And we we've got to talk about that. It's very important that folks understand it. But keep going, Jacob. What what sure. what reason? How do you connect them? What is your basic understanding of them being connected? Well, as I see it, it's, uh, the reason that the Ten Commandments are given is uh, for the Jews, and I think for everybody, uh, the Ten Commandments are directly from God. He spoke actually to people. A lot of people mistake and think only Moses heard it. That is not what it says in Exodus. Actually, there were being going to happen three million people on Mount Sinai, and they heard God speak. You couldn't get that many people to lie. Anyway, so it really happened. And or at least tell the same lie, right? Well, uh, you already tell the same lie, sure. <laughs> and, and then in the book of Acts, you've got, a, again, a large group of people receiving the Holy Spirit. You couldn't get hundreds or thousands, perhaps, of people to tell a uniform lie. So those both have substantial participants and witnesses. 
So it's very important, and I think it's the idea of this. It's uh, the Holy Spirit's coming from, you might say, from God, from heaven, if you like. Yep. And so was the Word of God with the same reverence. Now, this may be a little difficult for some folks, but with the same reverence that people consider receiving the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, as it's called in one of the Gospels, is this, and Jesus himself is the same reverence that the Jews hold for the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Though they, they do two different things. At Mount Sinai, there was, God was telling the Jews and the world how to live in this world. It was never understood by the Jews that if they do this, they get to heaven. It has nothing to do with that. It's how to live in this world and turn this word, in Hebrew is called tikkun olam, how to make this word holy. And if I might go so far, in Jesus in the book of Matthew, he says, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is his will? His will, as I understand it. It's his character, his laws. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we got it. That's beautiful. And so, um, then when the Holy Spirit arrives, it's also from God. But if instructing, if God wanted everybody to go to heaven, he'd just say, okay, cancel the everybody's ticket, we're all going to heaven. That's not what he wants. He wants something done here. So he exactly. gives the Holy Spirit to people so they can do what they need to do here. Now, what, what connection was made between Passover and Pentecost uh, before the coming of Messiah, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures, what connection was made? Why did they understand that they were to count very carefully these 50 days using the Omer, this measure of, uh, what was it, of oats or wheat? Or they were to measure uh, something? Yes, you're, you're 100% right. It, it, omer is a measurement of grain, and, they, and it says, and it's in, actually in Leviticus, and it actually tells the Jews, you count 50 days from Passover. Now, when you count that 50 days, you arrive at Mount Sinai. And that's fascinating. And then in the New Testament, you oh, count, okay. <clears throat> so you count 50 days in the New Testament from Passover, you get to what's chapter 2 of the book of Acts, okay. the Holy Spirit. Now, God wasn't just, I don't believe, just randomly picking those dates. He was making uniformity and consistency. And as you're very fond of saying, it's like a constant revealing and unraveling of a plan, a continuation, as you say, and I cannot disagree with that. Of one, of one plan, not, not several or two, but it's the unraveling and the unveiling of his plan. Uh, uh, sequentially, um, uh, uh, and each time we understand more because we're building on the revelation that had gone before then. So the people of Israel, there was Passover, then they were released from, uh, by the Pharaoh, they were released from uh, Egypt. They traveled to Mount Sinai and in a period of uh, a number of weeks. And 50 days later, at least 50 days later, they were camped at, beneath Mount Sinai. And that's when God revealed to them his laws, the laws that would bind together, them together and define them as a nation, beginning with the identity of God himself, the true and living God himself. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I did something for you. Uh, and, and starting with that first commandment, then God revealing his commands. Now, interestingly, I, I, I see a connection there as well between Passover and, and the coming of the Holy Spirit because 
remember too that ultimately it was never God's plan that well, let's go back establish basically the intent of God was to call out of the human race a people for himself. That's the plan that we see from the book of Genesis with Cain and Abel. And when Cain kills Abel, then God gives them another son named Seth who who kind of reconstitutes and rebuilds the godly lineage. Those uh, the children of Adam and Eve as the, as the nation, as the, the human race expanded and grew. Uh, it, it continually broke into the, that group of the people of, uh, of the human race that followed after God and sought God and desired God, wanted to worship God, the true living God, and live for him and honor him. And those that did not, those that were humanistic, they were very self-centered, human-centered, whatever other philosophies and thought life or, or false gods that were made up and so on, false religiosity and so on. So you have those two wings those the godly lineage and those that seek who depart from God in his ways. And so God is called the purpose of the redemptive plan of God is to call out and to 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 bring out of the human race a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. It's one of the most repeated phrases in, in all the Tanakh and also the the New Testament scriptures, the gospel well, scriptures. And I, I, I will be their God. They will be my people. Yeah, and I think it's very important to remember that coming out of Egypt, it was not just "quote unquote" Jews. It was what they call a mixed multitude. They were all people. Exactly. This was not limited to Jews. This was whether you're Jewish or Irish or Australian, African. It didn't make any difference. What made a difference is how your heart was, how you believed in God, and that you knew to make the world a decent place and to walk with God. And here we have God's character. Expressed in these these laws, uh, these Ten Commandments, and in other laws that came, Moses explained them and expanded on those Ten Commandments. There in um, in uh, Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy, helping explain more and more how they apply those laws and live them out in a way that would honor God as they live their lives out as as the people of God on planet Earth. And that had two primary objectives. One was to reflect. The glory of God reflect the character of God and bring blessing upon them and their families and so on, but also then to be a witness of the true and living God to other nations and other peoples outside of faith out, that didn't know the true and living God so that they would be attracted to and faithfully uh, referred to, pointed to the true and living God. So well, That's right. Salt, but, salt and light, if you will. Salt and light. That's a good, I like that one. That would be, a, it's, I'm surprised some Jewish rabbi didn't come up with that somewhere. Well, actually, I'm surprised you don't know it's in the Old Testament. <laughs> I, I do actually know it was there. But, but, well, I do want to say something. Uh-huh. Even this stuff is so important. And it's so interesting because you've done this so many times, sometimes intentionally. I always suspect it's intentionally, but <laughs> nice you have chronicles. And that appears to be a boring history of genealogy. And But those, so it is so desperately important to know that genealogy. And you think, oh, I don't want that just boring stuff. Let's be honest. We tend to skip over it. But at on Shavuot or Pentecost for the Jews, they have a reading they do. Not only do they read a portion of the Torah, but what they call the Megillah, or the book that they read is the book of Ruth. How about and that? And Ruth is not about a Jew. And isn't it fascinating to you that the one book of Jews all over the world, because they all read the same thing at the same time, uh-huh. it's a coordinated thing, 
and they read about a woman, Ruth, who's not a Jew. A Moabitess. At the time that the Ten Commandments are given. Yes, very, and very. So it's fascinating about that. Well, it emphasizes that fact that that the that, that the people of God, that the Israel in a bigger sense means the people of God, that those the, those who follow after and pursue and seek to know the true and living God. Well, what I wanted to talk about though was that this idea of the connection between Passover, or, or what we would call coming out of Egypt, coming out, being delivered from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of sin. I remember, remember they had the blood painted over the door sill and, and there was that, that imagery of deliverance, uh, and salvation coming out of sin, out of the kingdom of bondage to sin and, and so on and coming into the relationship with God. And the character of God is expressed through those ten commandments was to be our ideal, was to be what we long for and pursue. And, but let me say this, that it is not, the whole message of the gospel isn't, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, now go out there and do the best you can. The idea is that God is revealing his character to them through these commands, and that is our that is our command, our desire to fulfill those commands, but it, it's not up to us alone in our own strength and power to keep them. That in the redemptive plan of God, uh, he, he's, he has dispatched his Holy, his Holy Spirit it was always his plan not not for us to obey a bunch of laws that were outside of us. In other words, if you write them on tablets or if you were to write them in the sky under the stars, uh, here we have these ten laws, okay, get out there and do your best to follow those laws. That wasn't the pattern. That wasn't the picture. Yes, we are doing our best, and we are wanting to trust God as a step of faith. We seek to obey them, but... The real solution to that was that God was going to write those commandments on our hearts. It isn't that we, so it's not going to be the solution isn't going to be us grunting and groaning and, and uh, trying our best to try to fulfill those laws. The, the redemptive plan of God is that he redeems us and forgives us and cleanses us. And then the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself comes along with alongside us as believers and he works within us to transform us and the, uh, the in the new testament we talk about that paul mentions it as the process of sanctification if you look in first uh, thessalonians 5 for example verse 23 he talks about he the, the the spirit of god god is sanctifying it's not just justification in other words liberating us from sin and forgiving us from the delivering us from the penalty of sin but the redemptive plan of God includes also delivering us from the power of sin over us in our lives. And that is accomplished through and by the Holy Spirit, who after the ascension of Messiah, after the ascension of the man of faith, uh, the first proto, Jesus was the firstborn of the twiceborn. He was the first of, in the sense, the New Testament style believers. Uh, and after Jesus completed his role in his his task of being our mediator, our representative, taking our sin upon himself and dying and then ascending to heaven. Remember, just as he said to his disciples, I've got to go away. Why? So the Father can send the Comforter. And now the Spirit of God has come in this new relationship with the people of God, with his people, and no longer exercises uh, uh, influence from outside, but now works within us, actually in our own hearts and minds, to write his word on our hearts, on our minds, so that we're not, it's not us seeking to obey a law 
outside of us. You know, hear those tune laws, go do your best to follow them. But walking with God in this relationship with him, the Spirit of God is teaching us, guiding us, enabling us, empowering us to live out uh, the, the laws of God as flowing out of our new nature that he has he has created within us. I, I don't know how to say it very well, well Jacob. I, I think you're saying it fine, but doesn't it actually say in the book of Hebrews that he shall, what you're saying is, is that he'll write his laws on your heart. That's it. That's what the Spirit is doing. Uh, and I'm trying to explain what uh, that process here, is like. Here is, here is how I think about that. Not okay. necessarily correct, but uh, it's satisfactory for me. Uh, that God's laws have not been done away with because they're how we're supposed to live on this earth. They never, never were meant to get you to heaven. But in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, if a person receives uh, the Spirit, as you've outlined, then if God is rewriting his laws on people's hearts, then they couldn't have been done away with because now that you've got this, and I think you just alluded to it, now you know why you're supposed to do these laws because now you've got this sanctification, I believe. And so what happens is now you know how to live. If they had been done away with them, evidently nobody told God because he's rewriting them in people's hearts. Yeah, and what Jacob's alluding to is this idea so often we hear, and I think wrongly understood and maybe even wrongly expressed, I'm not sure everyone means it in this way, but so often in our Christian churches and pastors talk about, well, we're no longer under the law, we're under grace, and the law is done away with, and you know only. And there is a sense in which Paul talks about that idea, but but it's in the sense that Jacob mentioned earlier in the program that the law was never seen as a means of personal salvation and redemption. That was never the mean. The purpose of the laws of God was not to get us to heaven. Uh, that, that was not the purpose of the laws of God. Now, no person who gets into heaven, uh, all who go to heaven, we will abide by and live by, and that will be part of our very character to to obey. We desire to live for God and walk in, in the commands of God. But the laws of God are not done away with. They were just they were there were certain era, even in the, in the uh, what is what the Bible, the New Testament talks about is Judaizers from time to time. It uses that phrase. There was some error uh, in the understanding of some people in the in the Jewish faith that they thought, well, we're, we're earning salvation. Now, as Jacob has said, that's never been a mainstay teaching. It's never been fundamental doctrine of, of Judaism. But there were some who thought that, that, that obeying the Ten Commandments is a means. Uh, that's how we get to heaven. That's our salvation. And, and what Paul was emphasizing is that, no, that's not. In that sense, we've been de- delivered from the condemnation. We've been delivered from the judgment that the Ten Commandments bring on all of us because none of us keep the Ten Commandments perfectly in our lives. And so we all, they lead us in that sense to our, to show us our need of a Redeemer, of a Savior, of forgiveness. And that's when we come, uh, you know, to Messiah and the redemptive plan of God, the atonement, uh, oh, for our forgiveness. But in your particular portion, you've got Chronicles tonight. Yes, I do. And I was going to try to tie that in to what the Jews read about Ruth. Let's do, now, let's do. Here is something interesting. Now, we all wonder, we hear, we're reading the book of uh, Genesis and suddenly come on this very sad and almost horrible story of Lot and his daughters. Yes. Aha! And it's in the middle of the story of Joseph. What in the world is all this business about? Well, Joseph was on for 17 chapters, actually, but you got this story about Lot and his daughters. Then over here, you've got this other story going on. 
in Genesis, and Judas stops, and he has this illicit affair, apparently, with Tamar. So, who, who happens to be his daughter-in-law, right? Well, that's why it's all listed. But if okay. you look closely, you're going. And I got to know. I got to keep this short. So look at the similarities that's going on with the story of Lot and the daughters, and the story of Tamar and Judah. Did you know in the Book of Ruth it mentions the Book of Judah and Tamar? And in the, the book, of, in the book, book of Ruth. In the Book of Ruth, yes. So, but listen to this. So Lot has a daughter, has a, a one of the people. Comes out of this horrible act between Lot and one of his daughters. Going to have to hold you there, Jacob. Hang on to the thought. We'll come back and hear the rest of that story and take your phone calls, I hope, right after these messages. Is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. back this is the bible live quiz show we have got some questions out on the air for you that you are able to call in and answer if you'd like 340-9585 is the phone number uh, you can dial anytime we'll see it come up here on the phone and we'll bring you on let you answer some questions let me uh let me repeat some of the questions we've got out there jacob is on the line with us we're discussing from both our the our gentile perspective from believers of of a New Testament tradition and understanding from the time of Messiah himself. And we're discovering and, and establishing those links that we have with the Hebrew Scriptures, that they're, they're of one piece. This is not a – Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He come to came to finish out the, that biblical – that revelation of God himself and that revelation of his redemptive plan for humanity. And uh, we, we follow along. We've been grafted in to the people of God, into Israel itself. So let me let me give you some of the questions. We're, Jacob and I are discussing that. Jacob, I want to get back to that point you were making right before our break. Okay. But, but let me repeat the questions just in case there's someone listening out there that wants to say, oh, well, I want to answer a question. I want to win some prizes. In Psalm 78, verse 4, we are told to pass the knowledge of God to another group of people. What group of people are specifically mentioned in Psalm 78, verse 4, that we are to pass on to them the knowledge of the true and living God. What group is mentioned there? And the Proverbs now, these two questions from the book of the Proverbs, what can God's people do that is said to delight the Lord? Something that brings joy to the Lord that we, you and I can do. What is it? In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8, and I'll, I'll tell you this little hint, the song we just played coming back into the program here, it gives you a good, strong hint at what that thing is that we should be doing that brings pleasure to the Lord. And in this question, it is said to be a crown of glory gained by living a godly life. What is it? What is this crown of glory gained by living a godly life? It's found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31. And where does the crown go? It goes on the top of your head right so maybe that's a hint for you as well now let's go to the book of acts 
when Paul went to a new city, uh, what I think I might do is I'm going to answer these questions and I'll give you some new questions. When Paul went to a new city, where did he customarily go first to preach his message? And chapter 17, verse 2 is a good example of that. When he got to Thessalonica, he went to the Jewish synagogue. That was the first place he went. That was like a little potted plant set there with with the soil rich and ready to receive the message of Messiah, the message of of this redemption. And so Paul went first to the Jewish synagogue, uh, which was established during the time of the diaspora when the people of Israel were scattered throughout the nations. And now in God's plan, as now that the people of Israel, the the knowledge and understanding of of the Messiah, the redemptive plan of God, was out there in the nations, then Jesus comes in in, in that particular time so that when the message goes out, there is a receptive place in every city all across these nations. It's it's an incredible thought of of, of how God's sovereignty working to uh, to, uh, in, in planning the release of the redemptive plan, the release of the the plan of salvation uh, through those early Jewish believers into the other cities around the Jewish, the Roman Empire. Then in Thessalonica, a believer practiced hospitality and let Paul stay in his home. And as a result of that, as the the old saying goes, "No good deed goes unpunished." His home was attacked and he was arrested, and that his name was Jason. By the way, that was the name of that person. Jason in chapter 17 verses 5 through 8 maybe you heard that question you wondered who that was I'm answering these questions for you and then we'll give you some more in Athens Paul got a chance to address the council of philosophers so to begin his sermon he referred to an altar he had seen dedicated to what God and remember as he walked up the Mars Hill on his way to uh, address the council of philosophers he noticed they had altars to all kinds of gods they believed in many or acknowledged many different gods and all these different belief systems. But he saw an altar dedicated, quote, to an unknown God. And he used that altar as a jumping off place for his sermon. He said, I've come to talk to you about that God that is unknown to you, that you haven't known about. And he preached to them about the true and living God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the redemptive plan realized through Messiah. So uh, there's the answer to that question in chapter 17 of Acts. In Corinth, Paul lived and worked with us, this godly couple. Who are they? Their names were Aquila and Priscilla. In chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, we're told about them. Really interesting couple. Uh, they, They truly learned and discipled, uh, not only encouraged Paul, but they had a, 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 a contribution to make into the growth of the gospel in that era. And in particular, I'm going to give you new, a new question here. After Paul left Aquila and Priscilla, they met a gifted Jewish speaker and a teacher from Alexandria down in Egypt, and they helped him see and understand that Jesus was and is the Messiah. Who was this gifted individual that they discipled? Aquila and Priscilla discipled him, and he became a very effective evangelist during that era. Who was this gifted person spoken of there in Acts chapter 18, verses 24 through 28? Here's another question for you. This is one of those who am I questions. During Paul's third missionary journey in Acts chapter 20, It was his last night in the city of Troas. 
I went to sleep during his sermon and fell out of the third-story window. While Paul was preaching through the night, a late-night sermon, uh, I went to sleep and fell out of a third-story window uh, and died. But uh, Paul, he was brought back to life, as we see in that particular passage. So uh, that's found in Acts chapter 20, verse 9. Who was this uh, young boy, uh, probably a young teenage boy, that went to sleep during the sermon and fell out the window. Now, there's a good lesson for you right there. If we could, <laughs> You don't have any trouble making an application from that lesson. Uh, stay awake, right? Stay awake in church. Here we go. Now, the Roman commander was going to beat a confession out of Paul in Acts chapter 22. Uh, he was taken, arrested, and he was going to beat a confession out of Paul. What did he learn about Paul that kept him from beating him? What did this Roman commander learn about Paul that kept him from giving Paul a beating? Chapter 22, verses 25 through 28. And that will reveal another reason that Jesus came in the particular time that he came, at that particular era. Uh, and then finally, this question from the book of Acts, chapter uh, 27. What catastrophe did Paul and fellow travelers endure on their way to Rome? Remember that Paul appealed his legal case to Caesar, and he was sent then from from Israel. He was sent to Rome to stand trial, not before the Caesar himself, but in the courts of Caesar there in Rome. And uh, on that journey that they made, what catastrophe did Paul and fellow travelers endure during that journey, it's found in chapter 27 of the book of Acts. What was that catastrophe? Uh, in the book of First Chronicles, it is Jewish tradition that uh, chronicles were compiled. They were gathered and edited for information by Ezra. This uh, scholar, this, what is it? What's the name for this scholar, uh, Jacob? Uh, 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 scribe, right? Yes, yeah, Ezra was a scribe of that time, and he is the one who gathered and compiled the writings. Now, the 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 book of the books of Chronicle, as as Jacob just pointed out a while ago, they are a selected history. They are intended here. Ezra is. They have this people that have been raised in exile. Most of them, or all of them, born in in Babylon, so they they don't really have that close connection with with their heritage, with their history of who they are as God's people and the, the history of God's dealings with them. And so the book of Chronicles, Ezra puts together this, this history. It's selected to highlight the positive, good, beautiful things about God's uh, choosing of the people of Israel as a people with, through whom and with whom to work and deal to reveal himself to the nations. And so Ezra, it's a very selected uh, history that he puts together, but it has that purpose of helping them reconnect with their identity, with their history of the people. And of course, it starts there with that those uh, passages dedicated to uh, to uh, genealogies and helping remember. And I always like the genealogies myself, Jacob, because they show us that God just isn't in the big picture dealing with nations and people groups and empires that rise and fall, but that He has His eye on individuals as well individuals and their families and their children and as they pass the faith along to others. I always like the idea that 
Even as God knew about the men and nations and the rising and falling of empires, he also was mindful of individuals that was important to him, their stories. And it's very interesting there in the book of Ezra that, and, and several places in the Hebrew scriptures that there is this time of, of going back and reviewing by name the lineage of faith, this, the, the genealogies of faith that came along. I, I like that. I think it's a beautiful lesson for us. Well, the, go we, ahead. Let me give a solid example to demonstrate what you mean, if I may. Sure. I, we all know, as I was saying before the break, um, we, we have this story going on. All of a sudden we have this, uh, this really hor- horrible story about Lot and his daughters. Yeah. But one of the daughters produced the Moabite. Aha. Ruth, in the book of Ruth, is a Moabite. He comes from the people, the product of, obviously, incest. Horrible story. And then we've got, suddenly, as we're going on with the story of uh, Judith and Tamar that occurs in the middle of the story of Joseph, you say, well, what in the world is this about? It sort of interrupts the story of the 17 chapters of Joseph. There are no accidents, right? I mean, it was probably put there on purpose to illustrate something very clear. It was on purpose. It's to demonstrate the importance of understanding the genealogy. Because Boaz is a descendant from the tribe of Judah, you see. He ends up marrying Ruth, who is a descendant from the Moabites of Lot and his daughters. Yes. So they come together. In fact, in the book of Ruth, it actually mentions, and I believe in the last chapter, it says, may you be like Judith and Tamar. And you think, and that's the lace that brings us back. There's a reason. These stories are the, the unusual stories of uh, Lot and Judith and Tamar and Ruth. These are not isolated stories. These are meant to make a comprehensive picture. For example, Ruth comes from the Moabite. Boaz comes down from Judah. Both of those seem to come from a really pretty bad story in a way. So, well, they end up married. Now, when they marry, Ruth, Ruth of course, she's a, a, a convert, if you like that term. Uh-huh. But she's, uh, she uses a statement, uh, your, your people will be my people, your God, your will, God be. will be my God. Whether you go, I go. Yeah. Actually, uh, there. It's important, I think, to understand that the first statement is your people will be my people. Because you cannot, as the Jews understand this, you cannot like the God of Israel if you don't like <laughs> How are you going to like God if you like if you dislike intensely the people of God, right? All right so here's the catch. So now, and this is demonstrates the importance of the uh, genealogies, the chronicles, that kind of thing. So you've come all the way down. This has been brought back together, and obviously Ruth is now a descendant. Boaz is a descendant, and they produce a baby. Of course, that's Obed, and Obed is uh, the uh, uh, produces the ch- child, and the next child is David. Now, what's interesting is, is that uh, Ruth's, Ruth's sister, Ophrah, who did not stay, but she returned to her people, the Moabites. Yes. And the same three generations later, she produces a great adversary of David, and that's Goliath. Is that right? So, you see, this is an entire story. Now, if you know that when you're reading the book of Ruth, you're reading the story that comes from Judah and this unusual story of Judah and Tamar and this unusual story of Lot and his daughters, this, this genealogy starts bringing this story together. And then you start really comprehending, I believe, even in the genealogy of Matthew and Luke, what's really going on with this genealogy and why it's so important. 
that if you say Jesus is the Messiah, why he's the Messiah, and how it comes about, and even in his birth, there's a line uh, of birth that can, that can somebody God says he can never have a person from that line on the throne. Yes. So he's got the difficulty of the promise that he made that there'd always be a king of Judah on the throne. What, what, what did those, uh, uh, these last, some of the last kings of Israel before they fell to Babylon, there were these, um, I'm forgetting their names not there, but there was one of them who was declared that through his lineage, uh, no king will ever sit on the throne. You would find that as uh, in the New Testament, it's called Konia. Yes, Jeconiah, and uh, there well, was another. Konia, Konia, Konia is the name, uh-huh. and Jeconia is his original name, but he had the, what you call the J-E, the G taken off. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. In Hebrew, it's the name. Uh, it's the first letter, pronounceable letter of God, so that was separated from his name. Now, he's the one that God said will never have a child set on the throne, and yet he's from the tribe of Judah. So, had Jesus been, a say, a biological child of Joseph and Mary, he could have never been on the throne. But, Jesus, you gain in, Jew, in Jewish thought, you gain your tribe from your father, but you gain your Israelite status from your mother. So what happened is the, oh, there's only one way out of that dilemma of the conflict of the two promises, and that would be one that uh, the two promises are one that he would he made a promise he, they will always have a son on the throne. Two that one, in the line of Konia he'll never have it, so he can't have it. Say so yes, it'll always be on there, and no, it won't be on there. So you have to find a way out of it. The only explanation way out of it is what you refer to as a virgin birth. <laughs> Well, anyway, I, it was I, necessary for more than one reason. Yes, uh, that that is true. So when you in all these chronicles that you began with chronicles tonight, all these characters that you're reading, they're wanting you to know because it begins with obviously Adam. And I'm going to tell you something. Adam in Hebrew is only three letters. It'd be like A D M. Uh-huh. Adam, the A stands for Adam himself. The D stands for David. The M stands for Messiah. Got it? Interesting. Wow. So, yeah, okay. that kind of blows my mind. I actually, I have to chew on that a bit. That's really uh, 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 a beautiful thought, a very pregnant thought, actually. Well, I wish I wish it was mine, and I wish I could take credit, but if I do, I'm stealing somebody else's stuff, and it's, it goes to the people who explain this over the centuries. Yeah, 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 but I get it. Genealogies, well, it looks unimportant. If you ever get somebody can kind of tie it, like the story of Ruth, why is Ruth selected? Because she's from the Moabites. Boaz is from the tribe of Judah. They've come together, reunited, and they produce a child that produces David. And from David will come the Messiah. The Messiah. Uh, so it's, it's, genealogies are a comprehensive story from the very beginning. And they help us to see that God's redemptive plan, God's plan for humanity, isn't some idyllic sort of uh, unrealistic sort of, uh, uh, working of God with perfect people, but God sovereignly and graciously at work, even with broken, uh, uh, broken people who suffer and who have problems and difficulty and stumble and fall, but they are trusting in God and because of His forgiveness and cleansing and His atoning work, that God in His sovereignty is carrying out His plan, even through normal, weak, uh, uh, there's an old hymn I like to think of. It says it talks about us as believers, God's people, as we are prone to wander. We just we have that that inherent uh, 
somehow we seem to drift off into our own to forget God and get off the path. And yet God in his grace and his forgiveness, he forgives us, he works with us, and brings us back. And, and I, I think to me, I found the, the, uh, the genealogies always a picture of that, that God uses normal, ordinary, weak, fallen human beings to carry out that redemptive plan. And he is at work within us to transform our lives uh, so that someday that work will be finished. There's a wonderful passage I read this morning in one of my studies out at Lackland with the uh, trainees. We were talking about that truth, Jacob. I want to see if I can find it real quick. That uh, It talked about that redemptive process of God. Let me see if I can find it. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, and it says, Paul's final greeting, and it talks about in this context the, the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, always be joyful, never stop praying, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, how can we be thankful in all circumstances, whether we're in prison, or, you know, where maybe we're sick, maybe difficult times and difficult situations? Paul says, even in those times, we should be thankful. There's only way, one way we could truly be thankful in those circumstances if we have the assurance and the knowledge and the faith that God is in control even of those difficult times, that he will use them redemptively in our lives. And he goes on to say, um, be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. Test everything that is said, in other words, at preaching of God's word. Test all the sermons you hear by God's word. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And then listen to this. He says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for it is he who calls you, and he is faithful. He will bring it to pass. And that's what we we talk about, this link between the laws of God that he's writing on our heart, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say the Holy Spirit came, we're not saying that this is the first time the Holy Spirit had ever been on planet Earth. You know, uh, that's not even in the creation story. The Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters. I mean, we we see the Spirit of God always present and involved in with the Father and the Son in all of the all the different activities. They they think and act and love one another and act together. But we're talking about the Spirit of God coming in a new reality a new understanding of our relationship now that he comes now to accompany personally and intimately accompany each one of us as the believers, as followers of God, children of God. He has now come to walk with us, to to escort you and me to glory. It is he, it is the Holy Spirit now who superintends this transforming phase of our lives, this sanctification. Jesus, the Messiah, carried out the redemptive part the, the the justification of our sins, the atonement uh, for our sins. But then and Jesus died. He went to the cross and was raised from the dead. That new life, the power of God there present, the spiritual power to bring Jesus back to life, that is the power that now resides within us. Well, I people. got a question for you, Sophie. Yes, sir. Okay. What language in, the, uh, in your readings tonight, in the book of Acts, did Jesus... 
Oh, they're in uh, in the the opening chapters where he talks about. Uh, oh no, this is in tonight's reading. Oh, in tonight's reading, Jesus speaks to Paul, to yeah. Saul, when he says, "Why are you kicking against the goads?" No. Oh, it's 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 actually. Would you like a hint? Yes. It's in chapter Acts twenty six, verse fourteen, oh. and Paul's relating the story. Uh, by the way, it, it occurs more than one place, but this is one, okay. and this is interesting. Paul, in chapter 26, tells when Jesus spoke to him and said, why are you kicking against the goads, right? Well, are you telling me there was some... Look at 26.14. Okay. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is useless for you to fight against my will. Is that... uh, is that version more or less the same that you... No, it's not, it's, I don't know what to read. It's not even close. Okay. Twice, this... 20, Acts twenty six fourteen says, And when we had fallen into... Uh, when I fall to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me in Hebrew. In Aramaic, it says here. Uh, your Bible is in error. Okay. <laughs> in Hebrew. And the fact, if you, I think, and I'm, I'll joke, I'm joking when you say your Bible's near, of course. But Well, it, it says, in the footnotes, it says, or Hebrew. I don't know. See, what they've done in many of those texts, and I can't figure out why, because the Greek says Hebrew, but I know in many of the texts, they'll put the word Aramaic with a little asterisk saying, look at the bottom, you look at the bottom, and they'll say, or Hebrew. Aren't Hebrew and Aramaic related languages? Well, uh, only in Arkansas. Oh, okay. I, I was thinking they might have been related. Maybe that would explain. No, it. but but uh, but yeah, it's Aramaic is a is a derivative language that may include some Hebrew. So but Jesus, is, so Jesus speaks to Paul speaking. in Hebrew. Huh, that's interesting. No, so we know it. And I want to point out one other thing before we move on. So the genealogies are important, so you unite the story, so we know about uh, etc. And that makes chronicles important. But I really want to touch base. Remember, we talked about. In Acts chapter 10 last week about the uh, whether that law was a Roman law or a Jewish law. A lot of people think it was a Jewish law, and that's silly. About it not eating Roman. in the home of uh, Gentiles, yes. Yeah, exactly so. Now, if you'd be good enough to look over at 17.7, yeah. look what it really says. It actually says what I was saying last week, because I, I looked up the Roman law. Go we ahead and say what here. it says. We've only got a few minutes, a few seconds left. The Bible live is dedicated. Go ahead. What does it say? Uh, and Jason welcomes them, and they... And he's and they're telling on Jason. It said, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, King Jesus. It's Roman law. Caesar's declarations, Roman laws. That's the laws that are being referred to in the next chapter. Thank you, Jacob. Good to hear from you, pal. You have a great Memorial Day tomorrow, as we remember those who gave their lives and suffered for our nation and gave paid the ultimate price. Thank you for being with us. Folks, we'll see you next week here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. For more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.